Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what is new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. We have a very special guest with us today. We have none other than Mr. George Ross. George was Mr. Trump's right-hand man and attorney for many years as part of the Trump Organization. Before that, before he even worked for Mr. Trump, he did a lot of work in Manhattan. He worked for Goldman and DiLorenzo, and he did literally hundreds and hundreds of deals in that organization before the Trump Organization. And he was involved with Donald on his very first deal when Donald was just 27 years of age. Welcome to the show, George. You know, the story of the Commodore Hotel is such an interesting one, and it's an interesting case study in what to do with resourceful, not with resourcefulness, not necessarily a ton of resources, because he really put together that deal, and you were, you know, one of the architects of that deal. Take us through that story, because there's a lot of lessons in that, and I think it'd be really valuable for our listeners. Well, it's valuable for listeners. Listen, you have to put it in the, in the time sequence. In other words, this was the whole idea of turning the Commodore Hotel, which was closed and derelict, and uh, it was on Times, it was on Forty uh, Second Street and Park Avenue, in the heart of the city. The city was in real financial trouble, and it really needed a push. And uh, it, it, looking at the time, the mortgages were, were hard to come by. There was a lot of foreclosure. It was really a downtime. The city was one step away from total bankruptcy or, or losing on their bonds. So to come in and with an idea, to come up with a, a, an idea to do a refurbishing job of something that really needed a major overhaul was a lot of courage to take that, let alone to, as, to undertake it, let alone to feel that it could be successful. You would have been certainly swimming against the current at that point in time. Yeah, there was no question. No question. Everything was against them. What was the, what was the occupancy rate in Manhattan? About 28 percent. Wow. And hotels typically, to be profitable, need numbers in the 60s. Of course. Wow. So t- take us through the story. How did he convince you that this is something worth doing? Well, not convince me that it's something worth doing. I was there as a lawyer at that point. I knew I'd be well paid uh, for what I did. And what convinced me that it was worth doing was, in talking about it, I, I, I was totally impressed by his enthusiasm, his, guy, his, his charisma and thinking it could be done, even after I told him how difficult it was going to be and how it was involved. You're going to be dealing with the city, you're going to be dealing with the state, you're going to be dealing with uh, uh, mortgages, you're going to be dealing with uh, people that, that run hotels. Uh, you're going to talk with, about building, you're going to have to buy the property from the railroad, which is in bankruptcy. The amount of problems were tre- tremendous and uh, it was just looked like they would be basically insurmountable. And somebody had to have a tremendous amount of courage to say, I'm willing to tackle it. So take us you know, through, through the sequence of the deal. So where did he start? How did he pull this together? He pulled together, I think, from the idea. In other words, the idea basically was here was a uh, building which was totally derelict. It was in a very strategic location, Park Avenue and, and uh, uh, 42nd Street. And if he could turn it around, it would be an amazing feat to, to make it something worthwhile, like a brand new hotel and, and improve the image of the city at a time when it really needed improvement. And if he could do it at the age of 27, that it would basically be his, his hallmark. So now he could do something nobody else would do, which would establish, immediately give him credibility. So it was owned by the Pennsylvania Railway? The, the, the land was owned by the railroad. Okay, and, and, and the building? 
Well, the building at this point, the building was owned by a railroad too, but the building was, you know, it was not any value. It was going to be torn down. But the land was owned by the railroad, and the railroad was in bankruptcy. And the railroad owed the city $12, $16 million in taxes, which they didn't have an obligation to pay because they were in bankruptcy. Right. So the city needed the money des desperately, but couldn't get it. And the question was putting together a deal that works that would, that the railroad would go and say okay to, that the city would say or go to, and ultimately could uh, could be dealt and end up with a with a first class hotel, which was difficult to say the least. Well, normally when you buy a property, if there's a tax lien on it, you have to discharge discharge the tax before you can buy the property. So, so how did that come together? Well, it didn't. It didn't because that was part of it. So, part of his concept was that he was going to convince the city, they convinced the railroad to sell him the land at a reasonable price. And he was going to take the money he would pay to buy the land and give it to the city so that they would give him a lease where he didn't have to pay taxes. And uh, he'd give him a share of the profits. And he would basically be operate a brand new or create a brand new, a brand new hotel, which would be successful even though hotels were not then successful. And he could get a bank to finance it. So all of these things were definitely against the, the then current. Wow, wow. And of course, Donald at that time wasn't a hotel operator. No, he never operated a hotel. So, so how did that come together? Well, it didn't really come together as Matt, when he started with the idea. You understand that we're talking about a project that took two years in the making. Right. So it's not two years until he get put put the pieces together. And at the time, the atmosphere did change a certain amount. But at the first instance, when he went to a bank and told them how much money he's going to need to tear down the old building and build a new one. Uh, that and the bank basically said to Trump, what do you know about running a hotel? And he said, nothing. They said, well, get me a hotel operator and uh, we'll talk. But they figured that would be the end of the conversation. They just tried to get rid of him. And uh, he said, okay, I need a hotel operator and how do I do that? And he started to put pieces together so that it, in effect, it could be done. And he put some pieces together even though they were very flimsy and enough so that he could convince uh, uh, Pritzker of uh, Hyatt that, uh, yeah, this would make sense for them because they did not have a hotel in New York. Oh, yes. So, I mean, you know, a lot of times people try and play the middleman in a deal and, you know, walk away with, a, you know, a 2% cut as a broker or something like that. And he didn't do that. No. He maintained his position as a principal. Yes. So that, that, was, that was a very gutsy move, especially for his first deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the way he, way he had figured it was if he had figured it right, all he was, all was involved was the money was spent in getting it to fruition. But as far as constructing the hotel and what have with Hyatt, that that could be done if he put a little pieces in place. And he had confidence that he could do it. Was it gutsy? Of course it was gutsy. Yeah, indeed, indeed. What were some of the more difficult aspects of the negotiation as you were, as you, you, know, you were directly you know, hands-on involved well, in that? That's fine. The difficult aspects were the, the, the people you were involved with and what their position was. So you, when you're dealing with a railroad in bankruptcy that doesn't have to pay taxes and owes the taxes to the city and you tell them you want to buy the land and you want to take the money that you're paying for the land so that they would pay the taxes to the city, which they didn't have to pay, and then to go to the city and say, well, if I get you the taxes which you need, will you give, I'll give you the land, give me a lease where all you get is a share of the profits, you don't, I'm not paying you any taxes, which was an advantage, and that that would be satisfactory. Well, they got the city had never done that before. So let's get that done to convince the state 
to give you uh, the right of eminent domain to clear the site so you didn't have uh, people that were there that shouldn't have been there, uh, squatters and so forth. And then ultimately uh, to convince a, uh, a bank or to give you the money to make a new hotel. All of these things were difficult. Different people coming from different operations that were not tied together. So first you had to get them to buy into the concept of changing the, this area and improving the city and it would make sense for them as well as financial sense. So that was a feat. Now in the end, they maintained a lot of the structure of the original hotel, right? Well, that was a fluke. The answer is yes. Those, what happened was originally what the, when the concept was, was that they were going to tear the building down and start fresh, which created a certain problem construction-wise because the columns had to go between the tracks of the railroad. So when you're going to place those columns, there couldn't be trains running. You had to, so it's a question of a timing, the logistics. Was a, that was the original one, so we placed new columns to support the building. As a, what happened was that Donald decided to let me examine the existing building and the steel, even though it was built a long time by Commodore uh, Vanderbilt. And when they went in, and the, the steel was enclosed in concrete. When they, taught, when they exposed the concrete, the steel was as pristine as the day it was installed. So it was in beautiful condition. So if you could utilize it and redesign the hotel utilizing this thing, you didn't have the problem of place, placing new steel, new, con new construction, gluing around the trains and the tracks. It enabled you to work much faster and much more re much reasonably, but required a redesigning of changing a, the Commodore Hotel from what it was into a new business hotel that Hyatt would be interested in. So there was a, it was complex, but a lot cheaper because of that. Yeah, and it, I guess at the end of the day, if they put down new columns, they would have had to put them between the tracks anyway. Yeah, they would have put them between the tracks, but they could have designed the space upstairs more to match the columns. Right. Here right. the columns were there, so you had to work around them as how you're going to design your space, which they did. Yes, yes. I mean, it was already a hotel, so it's now a question of, well, yeah, okay, but the refurbishing of the hotel or the rooms, making ballrooms, to turn what was an obsolete facility into a, uh, a modern commercial hotel that Hyatt would be proud to, proud to be part of. Yeah, well, I've been there in, in, the, in the hotel, and of course, we've done some events there together, and uh, it's a spectacular space, so yeah. um, it's, uh, it's awesome. I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of people think when they, when they think of Mr. Trump, they think, you know, he was, his, his dad was enormously wealthy, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and basically, this was all handed to him, when in fact, you know, my perception, that I think, if you can verify this for us, is that he put this together through grit and hard work. Yeah, it was not his father. It's uh, no question that his father's name and reputation in the industry had a lot to do with letting credibility to Donald that, yes, he could produce. He was not a new, you know, he's not a, somebody that had no recommend, no backtrack, back record or, or background that would warrant. So he got that, but as far as the money or putting it together, that was all Donald. His father didn't want any part of being in Manhattan. Well, and, you know, I think that should really be comforting to people that are just trying to get started who don't necessarily have a ton of resources at their disposal, that if you just are committed to getting something done, yes, it might be difficult. Yes, it may look impossible, but with some grit and determination and get the right people on your team, folks like yourself, that it's possible to put something together. Right. Also, but the understanding is, but was smart enough to say, I have to hire, I have to engage somebody who's got a reputation of dealing with the, the city or the municipality that has some credibility in that marketplace because I don't have it. I'm too young and I haven't had anything. And he hired Henry Pritz, who was very good and knew his way around. And he could basically be the spokesman 
for Donald. In other words, he get lended credibility because he knew how to talk to politicians, he knew how to talk to a group of people, and he was mature. So the fact he, that he was mature covered Donald's immaturity of being new and gave a certain credibility along the way to the, the deal. However, the, uh, how it was going to happen, and ultimately at that point, was purely Donald's doing. Well, it's awesome. It's such a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing it with us, George. You're welcome. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. It'd be my pleasure. Wow, what a fascinating story. It stands in sharp contrast to the perhaps polarizing figure that stands now on the White House. But, you know, this is the story of a brash young man looking to try and make something of himself and seeking out the help and being just super resourceful. It's an amazing story, one that we can definitely learn some very powerful lessons from. Meantime, as you're thinking about your own objectives, make some great things happen. Have a spectacular day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>